How's everybody doing tonight? It's good to see you guys. Good to see you guys. Hey, listen, if today is your very first time with us, we just want to say thanks for being here. We are so glad that you are here. How's everybody feeling? Back to school? Back to the routine? Seniors, y'all have got like three months of school left, and then you're done. You're almost there. Well, listen, as we get started tonight, we're going to do something a little bit different, all right? I want you to picture this scenario, all right? I want you to picture this scenario and actually put yourself in these shoes. I want you to imagine that you are sitting in your fourth period class. Fourth period's the worst, I know, I know. I want you to imagine that you're sitting in your fourth period class. So far throughout your day, you've already had a math quiz, you've had an English presentation, all right? Your day has honestly been, it's been a little bit, it's a little bit, a little bit boring. It hasn't been very fun. But on the bright side, you go to lunch next. We all know that feeling when lunch is the next period. And listen, today is a really good lunch day. Today's a really good lunch day. Your mom has packed your favorite meal, chicken nuggets and mac and cheese. Chicken nuggets and mac and cheese. If you just booed for mac and cheese, you can leave right now. That, that's, that's really sad. Why do y'all hate mac and cheese so much? All right, we're going to talk about that later. Listen, your mom's packed your favorite meal. She's packed chicken nuggets, mac and cheese. Your stomach has started to make that weird rumbling noise because you're so hungry and you're looking forward to lunch. And listen, you just cannot wait to be able to turn off your brain, see your friends, and take a break. But listen, just as you sit down for lunch, just as you sit down at lunch, grace walks over. And your day instantly gets 10 times worse. Because Grace is one of your least favorite people in the entire world. Everything that Grace does annoys you. Grace, Grace is extremely self-centered and loves stirring the pot and causing problems in your friend group. Grace loves to talk about herself. And that one time, her TikTok video got a thousand views on social media. And listen, Grace is notorious for never letting anyone finish a sentence because she's always talking about how difficult her life is. She's always talking about how miserable her life is. And listen, every time that you are around grace, you leave feeling exhausted and somewhat offended at what she said. Now listen, obviously this is a dumb example, all right? Grace is not a, a real person, but we all know someone like Grace. We all know what I'm going to call tonight one of those people. In fact, you can probably picture someone right now. 
You can hear their annoying voice. You can see their face very clearly in their mind. They are the people in our life that are known for being difficult, unkind, and offensive. And listen, I'm just going to keep it real for a minute. If no one is coming to your mind right now, I hate to say this, but chances are you might be that person. No offense, though. No offense, though. Listen, throughout your life, listen, throughout your life, you are going to encounter all different types of people. You're going to encounter people that are very similar to you and that you enjoy being around. You're going to encounter people that you're indifferent towards and you tolerate being around. And listen, you're also going to be around some extremely difficult people and people that you don't want to spend time with. And it's really easy for us to love people that are like us and to love people that we get along with. It's not very challenging. But when we encounter a difficult person in our life, it can be very challenging for us to love someone who has a difficult personality and who's extremely offensive. So tonight, we are in week two of our teaching series called No Offense. And over the next few weeks, we are talking about what it means to live with no offense, specifically in a culture that is easily offended and extremely angry. Last week, we talked about how we can stop being offended. And we talked about this idea that being offended is inevitable, but living offended is a choice. And when someone commits an offense against us, when we are wronged by another person, we can choose how we're going to respond. So tonight, we're going to talk about how to deal with those people, those people that we all know, those people that we all encounter on a daily basis, and those people that we would all probably not want to be around. You see, throughout human history, no one was around more people than Jesus was. I want you to think about it like this. During his, his earthly ministry alone, Jesus would encounter hundreds of people on a daily basis. People would travel hours just to hear Jesus preach and teach. Families would bring their sick relatives to Jesus, hoping that he would perform a miracle and heal them. Jesus even had a group of 12 men. And we think this is, is totally normal. He had a group of 12 men that we know as the disciples who followed him around 24-7, who were with him for years of his life. You see, Jesus was constantly surrounded by people, and he was extremely good at dealing with them, even the difficult ones. In the first book of the New Testament, we are introduced to a man by the name of Matthew. And Matthew was one of the original 12 disciples. He was one of the 12 men who followed Jesus around and had a front row seat to Jesus' earthly ministry. And Matthew was actually the author of, of this book, Matthew. It was one of, it's the first book of the New Testament. And Matthew had a very unique, you see, Matthew was extremely detail-oriented. He was meticulous. He was a keen observer of people. Matthew wasn't the guy that was going to be the center of attention, that was going to be the life of the party. Instead, Matthew was going to be the, the guy that was in the background, 
He was the guy that, that was watching everyone else. And during Matthew's time with Jesus, he wrote and recorded many facts about Jesus' life and his earthly ministry, details that weren't found in any of the three other gospel accounts. It was all thanks to his attention to detail and how he paid attention to, to the people that were around him. But listen, this wasn't the type of person that, that Matthew always was. This wasn't where he got his start. In fact, life looked extremely different for Matthew when Jesus first met him. Matthew had a different profession. He had a different way of life. And quite frankly, he had a different way of thinking. And according to what scripture tells us about Matthew, Matthew would have been considered one of those people. If we were to know Matthew now, we would have considered him one of those difficult people to be around. And this is where our story picks up tonight in Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. It says this. As Matthew went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he said. And Matthew got up and followed him. You see, prior to, to following Jesus, Matthew was a tax collector. Don't act like you know what a tax collector is. Somebody just made a noise. A tax collector's job, listen, was to collect money from the Jewish people and give it to the Roman government. So Matthew would do is, is people would bring in all of their, their merchandise. Farmers and merchants would come into the city to trade, and Matthew would collect taxes and give it to the Roman government. But unfortunately, tax collectors had a really bad reputation. Tax collectors were not publicly liked by the general population. In fact, in the public's eye, they were viewed as, as shady thieves. No one wanted to, to have any kind of, of interaction with a tax collector. That's because what they would do is they would charge people more taxes than what was actually necessary. And they would keep that extra money that they would make and they would pocket it. They would keep it for themselves in order that they would have some, some extra cash. But, it, but one day as Jesus is traveling through Capernaum, he sees Matthew sitting at this tax collector table. And Jesus makes Matthew a life-changing offer. offer. He tells Matthew, listen, hey, I want you to drop everything, and I want you to follow me. And Jesus made him this offer both literally and figuratively. Not only did he want Matthew to, to get up from his booth in that moment and follow Jesus, but this was an invitation for Matthew to follow him for the rest of his life. Jesus was offering him an opportunity to leave behind his, his old way of life, his old way of thinking, and become one of his disciples. But look at what happens in verse 10. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? You see, after Matthew made this decision to, to follow Jesus, he invited all of his tax collector friends over for dinner at his house. This was kind of his, his farewell party. This was his going away party because he really wasn't going to see them as much. Now he was going to be traveling with Jesus. And I can only assume that, that he wanted his friends to meet Jesus. 
he wanted his friends to meet the man who had just radically changed his life. And I'm sure deep down he was pretty hopeful that they would have the same life-changing interaction that he had. But as they were sitting, as they were enjoying a meal together, the Pharisees get word of, of what's going on. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, hear that, that Jesus is sharing a meal with sinners. And they become very concerned. They become very upset at the situation. You see, in Jesus' culture, when you sat down and when you ate a meal with someone, it was a sign of friendship and hospitality. It meant something if you were going to share a meal with someone else. And a religious leader would not have been caught dead eating with sinners. A religious leader would have never shared a meal with a tax collector, especially people that were hated as much as they were. And so the Pharisees, they asked the disciples, hey, listen, why does your leader, Jesus, why does he eat with sinners? Why, why is he doing this? And the Pharisees, they're, they're not asking out of concern for Jesus. They're not asking because they're concerned about Jesus' reputation or about his, his social standing. In fact, they're trying to publicly discredit Jesus. They're trying to, to undermine his authority and draw attention to he's, that he's doing something that's outside of cultural norm, that goes against what he should be doing. But Jesus, he overheard their question, and look how he responds. In verse 12, upon hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. You see here, Jesus isn't talking about being physically sick. He's not talking about having a, a tummy ache. He's talking about being spiritually sick. And he's drawing attention to the fact that the Pharisees are completely clueless. The Pharisees, they don't get it. In fact, Jesus actually in verse 13 tells them to go back and to study the Old Testament. Something that they themselves claim to be expert on because they don't understand what Jesus is saying. You see, Jesus is pointing out here that these religious leaders, these Pharisees, they were more concerned about their social status and who they were seen with rather than providing spiritual counsel and guidance to the people who needed it most. They were more concerned about what other people thought of them, rather than reaching the people who needed their message the most. And Jesus, he corrects this way of, of thinking. He says, listen, I have not come to call the righteous, but instead I have come to call the sinners. You see, I can imagine that as Jesus was replaying this conversation back in his mind after it happened, that it had to have been pretty frustrating and discouraging. Here Jesus finds himself in a situation with, with those people. He was having a conversation with tax collectors, people who were hated in society. And the Pharisees, the so-called religious leaders of the time, they aren't really helping him much either. And listen, Jesus would have had every right in this situation to become judgmental, to become frustrated, to become offended. 
But instead, Jesus reacts the complete opposite. And he sets the precedent for us as to how we can respond when we are faced with difficult people. He sets a great example for us as to how we can respond in our own personal lives 2,000 years later when we face and come across the same difficult people that Jesus dealt with. So how was Jesus so successful? For the next few minutes, I just want to give you three simple takeaways from this story that made Jesus successful in dealing with difficult people in his life. The first one was this. Jesus engaged those people. Jesus engaged those people. Now, I want you to notice how Jesus interacts with the tax collectors. I want you to notice how he interacts with the tax, tax collectors. Jesus didn't try to avoid them. Jesus didn't try to keep them at arm's length. Jesus didn't try and write them off or shy away from a conversation. And he certainly did not sit back and wait for the tax collectors to come to him. Because chances are they never would have. You see, in fact, Jesus sought out the tax collectors. He sought out those people and he went out of his way to engage them. He went out of his way to have a conversation with them. He inserted himself into their life on their turf right where they were at at that moment when no one else would, including the Pharisees. Now, why would, would Jesus do this? Like, why would Jesus willingly go and seek out difficult people in his life? Because, listen, the best way, the best place to be kind and compassionate is when you are up close and personal. You see, it's almost impossible to be far away from someone and to be kind to them. But unfortunately, I think we try to, to do it all the time. What happens is we see a difficult person in our life. We see one of those people, someone that, that we really don't want to have a conversation with. And what do we do? We start to, to distance ourselves from them. If there's a, a difficult person right over there on that side of the room, here's what we often do. We'll say, hey, how's it going? Hope you had a great day. Oh, you didn't? Yeah, that really stinks. I don't really want to hear about it that much, but I hope your day gets better tomorrow. Oh, wait, do you need somebody to pray for you? I'm sorry that's going on in your life, but I'm a little busy. I, uh, I got to go talk to someone else. Oh, wait, you need someone to, to confide in, to, to share with. I'm sorry, I really just, I really don't have any time. And what happens, guys, is we continue to put distance and more distance and more distance between difficult people in our life. We shy away from conversations that we know we need to have because we're uncomfortable and because we don't want to deal with it. But do you see how, how ridiculous that just sounded? Like, do you see how dumb I looked doing that? Listen, you cannot have a relationship with someone when you're distant from them. You can't have a personal relationship with someone when you are not close to them. Now, I'm not saying that you need to go out and make best friends with every difficult person in your life. That's not what I'm saying. 
In fact, you should be extremely guarded as to, to who you allow to be the people closest to you in life. But I just want you to, to think about this very honestly for a minute. When was the last time that you sat and listened to someone who was incredibly different than you? When was the last time that you went and sought out a conversation with someone that no one else wanted to talk to? When was the last time that you went out of your way to build a relationship with the person who sits all by themselves at lunch? Jesus didn't shy away from conversations with difficult people. In fact, he sought them out and he engaged them. The second reason Jesus was so successful in dealing with difficult people was that he defended those people. Jesus defended those people. As we talked about earlier, the tax collectors had a pretty bad reputation. In our society today, they would have been considered criminals and would have most likely been placed in jail. And Jesus certainly did not encourage the tax collectors to steal or take advantage of others. He was not encouraging their, their sinful behavior. But listen, when the Pharisees began to consider themselves morally superior to the tax collectors, when the Pharisees started to act like in some way they were better than the tax collectors, Jesus stood up and he defended them. Why? Because the Pharisees were holding the tax collectors to their standards, not God's standards. And listen, next week we're going to take a closer look at, at the Pharisees and we're going to talk about this idea of self-righteousness. But here's what I want you to consider tonight. As followers of Jesus, we are not to condone sinful behavior. In fact, we need to be quick to call sin, sin. But when we start believing that we are less in need of God's grace than someone else, then we've cast judgment on that person. Just like the Pharisees cast judgment on the tax collectors. I want you to hear what Jesus says in, in Romans chapter 14. I want you to hear this, this principle found in the book of Romans. It says this, You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us, will give an account for ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. You see, one day, each of us will stand before God and we will give an account for our lives. And since none of us are perfect, and God is, Listen, he is the only one qualified to pass judgment on sin. And we have to be so careful that we do not elevate ourselves to the place of God and begin passing judgment on others when they sin and when they mess up. And listen, when we overhear 
other people who claim to be followers of Jesus passing judgment and acting as if they are morally superior to someone else, we need to be quick to come to the defense of those people who are being talked about. Just like Jesus was quick to come to the defense of the tax collectors when the Pharisees started to judge. Really practically, what does this look like? Let me give you a few examples. When your friend group starts trashing someone for what they did last weekend, shut it down and walk away. When someone in your life group shares that they have a prayer request, and they go on and on and on about this person that needs prayer. Very gently remind them that you don't need all the details of that person's life in order to pray for them. When your friend screenshots something on social media to hold on to just in case they need it. Remind them that they wouldn't want someone else screenshotting their post. Listen, when you have friends who start to cast judgment on other people, we need to be quick to call it out and quick to defend that person who's being judged. The last reason that Jesus was so successful in dealing with difficult people was that because he loved those people. He loved those people. You see, the reason Jesus was able to engage with and defend difficult people was because he loved them. He cared about them. He wanted to, to make a difference in their life. And listen, despite how difficult and defensive they were, it didn't matter what, what they had done. He still cared about them anyways. And if you consider yourself to be a follower of Jesus, then we are commanded to do the exact same. In John chapter 13, verse 34, it says this, a new command I give you, love one another. Just as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You see, whether you want to admit it or not, we are all difficult people in some way or another. But aren't you thankful that God still chose to love us anyways? And God loved us enough to send his son to be the sacrifice for our sins. And because we have, have experienced that love because we have experienced God's love in our life, we can extend that same kind of love to other people in our life, including people who we find difficult and offensive. Doesn't mean it's always easy, doesn't mean it's always fun, but it's one of the most visible ways in which we can reflect Jesus to other people. So as we close tonight, I want you to, to consider this question. I want you to think about this question. How do you typically respond to those people? How do you typically respond to those people? You know, if I were to answer this question honestly, then sometimes it's, it's not great. 
the way my personality is wired is such that if someone offends me, if someone hurts my feelings, if, if someone is difficult, I will try to distance myself as much as possible from them. I will, not, I will want nothing to do with them. I will try to keep them at arm's length. But what I found through a lot of trial and error is that when I do that, I'm not effectively living out my faith like Jesus has called me to. I'm not living out the visible representation of God's love in my life. And for me to effectively live outside of my faith, live out my faith, I have to step outside my comfort zone. I have to be willing to engage with difficult people in my life, whether I want to or not. And listen, here's the thing about dealing with difficult people. It gets easier the more you do it. It gets easier the more conversations that you have. And so what about you? How do you typically respond when you experience those people in your life? If that's you in here tonight, and you're in a position where you find yourself shying away from, from difficult people, you're struggling to engage with people that are offensive in your life, here's what I want you to do. All right, I'm gonna leave you with a challenge. Everybody paying attention. Over the next week, I want you to identify someone in your life that you would consider that person. It might be a friend at school. It might be someone on your sports team. It might even be a family member. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out of your way to engage them this week. I want you to go out of your way to have a conversation with this this week. Now, now listen, please do not go up to them and tell them that they are one of those people. Okay, that's not how we have conversations like that. But it might honestly just be as simple as asking how their day's going. Or going up to somebody and sitting with them at lunch, hanging out with somebody after practice. And here's the cool thing. Here's the cool thing that I don't want you to miss. You never know the impact that a simple conversation with a difficult person might have on their eternity. You never know the difference that a simple conversation with someone that no one else wants to talk to might have for years and years to come. Let's pray. Father, tonight I am so thankful that when we were all difficult people, you still loved us anyways, and you still chose to send your son as a sacrifice for us. And throughout our everyday lives, we are going to encounter people that aren't nice, that aren't loving, that are offensive. But God, if we say 
that we are followers of Jesus, then we have a responsibility and a burden to show those people love. And so God, I pray tonight that we would take a real hard look at how we respond to difficult people in our life. That we would be honest about our natural reaction to push people away, to keep them at at arm's length. Father, I pray this week that we would be very intentional to step outside of our comfort zone, to push ourselves just a little bit to engage with someone who we might consider difficult. To engage with someone who needs to see your love. To engage with someone who needs to experience you. So Father, I pray you would give us the courage and the boldness to have conversations this week. And God, I even ask that some of those conversations would make an impact even for eternity. We ask all of these things in your name.